Welcome to episode 31 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, how are things? Uh, you know, <laughs> hanging in there. Uh, I think by the time this goes out, our county will be in a shutdown again. Yeah, we'll be back in phase one because uh, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, because <laughs> these podcasts, these episodes come out two weeks later. So yeah, I think by the time this comes out, we will be in a, a full shutdown. And uh, I don't know, I've seen, uh, finally, the Florida Democrats came out and issued a letter with all of them signing it, asking DeSantis to get his shit together. Um, wow. But it's not, yeah, it took a you while. know, it's not as not as as loud as I think it should be. And we were talking about this yesterday, but you know, um, I, I I was telling you like I'm surprised that more people haven't, you know, risen up and been like, what the fuck? And I think it's because they haven't really been affected yet. You know, yeah. unless somebody in your family dies or you're economically put in the hole, there's there's no way well, that it's, it's going to start. Yeah, it's gonna it's got to hit the middle class harder before. Um, more demands start happening and it's 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 a sad sad situation but it uh, is it's sad for our our local businesses it's completely devastating for the economy but the whole thing again is that this is not um this pandemic wasn't created so it's you don't have to take i don't know why desantis won't even do the right thing he's it's not punishing the businesses it's not your fault that you have to protect the health and safety you know, of the entire state, it's your job. So if you have to shut things down, you have to shut things down. If you have to issue a mask ordinance, issue a mask ordinance. I mean, the the mask ordinance should have been easy. Yeah. But he looks at you, not at you, but I feel like he's looking at me in these conferences and he's got the dumbest fucking face I've ever seen. He's he's just like, well, we told people to wear masks, but they're not. Yeah. But they're not. So now what, bro? What are you going to do? Oh, he's he's not going to do anything. He's going to let it all fall. He literally blamed he's the media this it, week and said... He's going to let it fall. That in May, they stopped asking him about the pandemic, and that's why people in Florida got complacent. I was like, oh, what? please. No, you why reopened the state. Why don't you hold a press conference yeah, and, well, for your constituents? CNN then took... got to wait for the press to come to you? <laughs> CNN played that clip, and then they played... A good three minutes of every single question that was asked of him in May about, the, about COVID, and he's where he's sitting there with his mask half oh, off his hand, face, yeah, and, and like, he had it on wrong. Oh my that god, that was so funny. But he had it, it on upside down. The reason why it got cuckoo in May is because you reopened. Didn't they reopen by Memorial Day? Like it was all reopened they, by then. Um, I think we were shifting out of that phase one. Yeah, so it was two months of like lockdown. Well, even no, even going into the phase one, it wasn't like a full state. Right. It was it was very piecemeal. Uh, it was a mess. Whatever. D Satan. Uh we talked He's about a crony. We talked about the um uh there's a guy who puts on that Grim Reaper outfit and so uh who's a, a Florida lawyer apparently and his name's Dan Holfinger. Holfinger. Oh my god, I'm totally butchering that name. But I started following him on Twitter and he's like amazing this guy (laughs) so he's like he's raising money for the person who's running against matt gates in florida and uh and with that like to raise that money he'll come visit your beach (laughs) dressed (laughs) as the green the green reaper i love it so uh, i love that guy this he's doing the lord's work yes (laughs) 
Listen, I'm ready. I know. All right. So let's get into it. So I start today and today I'm going to talk about, (laughs) it may be a little weird, but I think it's a really good uh, history lesson that I didn't know anything about until a few years ago. The statehood of Hawaii. Oh. Do you know anything about the statehood of Hawaii? A little bit, but not as much as I probably should. Yeah. I was in a, like a, basically after the 2016 election, like the (laughs) hey, white lady, get woke kind of uh, class. And this woman from Hawaii started talking and I, my jaw was on the floor. I had no idea about the history of the United States coming onto that island and what what the fuck was going on. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're terrible. We're terrible. (laughs) Okay. So let's start with the history of the island. Um, Based on archaeological evidence, the earliest habitation of the Hawaiian islands dates to around 300 AD, probably by Polynesian settlers from the Marquesas Islands. Oh, Oh, by the way, I got inspired to do the story because of your story about about the the Marshall Marshall Islands. Islands. (laughs) As soon as you were said, as soon as you said Marshall Islands, it reminded me of that meeting. And then I went in and I I sent myself an email. I was like, for my podcast ideas, Hawaii statehood. (laughs) So um, a second wave of uh, migration from Reyatia and Bora Bora took place in the 11th century. Um, Some archaeologists, (laughs) archaeologists, some archaeologists, Forget it, skipped. And historians think it was a later wave of immigrants from Tahiti around 1000 AD who introduced a new line of high chiefs, the Kapu system, the practice of human sacrifice, and the building of the ancient temples. So the history of the islands is marked by a slow, steady growth of population and the size of the chiefdoms, which grew to encompass whole islands, right? So local chiefs called Ali'i ruled their settlements and launched wars to extend their influence and defend their communities from predatory rivals. So very similar to indigenous folks in America. There's tribes, there's, you know what I mean? It's the same exact thing. So um, the 1778 arrival of British explorer Captain James Cook marked the first (laughs) documented contact by a European explorer, white, um, with Hawaii. Cook um, named the archipelago the Sandwich Islands in honor of his sponsor, John Matago, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, publishing the island's location. So as Cook prepared, this is funny. I thought you thought that this was funny. As Cook prepared for departure after his second visit in 1779, a quarrel ensued as Cook took temple idols and fencing as firewood (gasps) and a minor chief and his men stole a boat from his ship. No. Yeah. So Cook abducted. So he's just like, oh, I need some firewood. Let me just go desecrate their temples. Yeah. And my, meanwhile, I don't know how welcoming, like when you land on this island, like I really couldn't tell like if the, the Hawaiian, like indigenous folks were like, hey, what's up? Come on. If they were friendly with them, but it didn't sound like it was like contentious. They're feeling each other out yeah. basically, I guess. But I just love that it was the he second lands, time there that he lands and suddenly it's named after yeah. who's funding him. Yeah. And there are people there. <laughs> yeah. Already. We discovered this island. Yeah. No, no, no. No, there were people already. Are a long, 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 long time. Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, uh, Cook abducted the king of Hawaii Island, <gasps> Kalani Opo'u'u. I'm sorry. I'm already going to apologize for everything I say wrong and how I mispronounce things. And held him for ransom aboard his ship in order to get his boat back, <gasps> as this tactic had previously worked in Tahiti and other islands. Oh, no. <laughs> Instead, the supporters of Kalani Opo'u'u attacked Killing Good. Cook and four sold sailors yes. as Cook's party retreated along the beach to their ship. Yeah. So get the yeah. fuck out. 
The ship Good. departed without retrieving the stolen boat, <laughs> so they never even got their boat back. After Cook's visit and the publication of several books relating to his voyages, the Hawaiian Islands attracted many European visitors, explorers, traders, and eventually whalers, who found oh. the islands to be a convenient harbor and source of supplies. Oh, Lord. I know. Um, early British influence can be seen in the design of the flag of Hawaii, which bears the Union Jack in the top left corner. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Yeah. Uh, these visitors introduced diseases to the once isolated islands, causing the Hawaiian population to drop very steeply. <sighs> Native Hawaiians had no resistance to Euro, Euro, Eurasian, sorry, Eurasian diseases such as influenza, smallpox, and measles. Mm-hmm. Again, just like uh, in America. Yeah. Um, by 1820, disease, famine, and wars between the chiefs killed more than half of the native population, oh. Hawaiian population. During the 1850s, measles killed a fifth of Hawaii's po- uh, people. Historical records indicated the earliest Chinese immigrants to Hawaii originated from Guangdong province. A few sailors had arrived in 1778 with Captain Cook's journey, and more arrived in 1789 with an American trader who settled in Hawaii in the 18th century. Uh it was introduced, or I'm sorry, it is said that leprosy was introduced by Chinese workers by 1830, and oh. as with the other new infectious diseases, it proved damaging to the My native God, Hawaiians. they're just getting wiped out with every <clears throat> disease. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No immunity. It's oh. And with, with, with more and more um, immigrants coming, it changes the the ethnic uh, background of the, of the entire Yes, the, the entire island. You know, it changes. There's less native people and more more immigrants, right? Yeah. Okay. So the kingdom of Hawaii during the 1780s and 1790s, chiefs often fought for power. After a series of battles that ended in 1795, all inhabited islands were subjugated under a single ruler who became known as King Kamahamahiha the Great. He established the House of Kamahamahiha, a dynasty that ruled the kingdom until 1872. After Kamahamahiha II inherited the throne in 1819, American Protestant missionaries to Hawaii converted many Hawaiians to Christianity. Oh, God. They used their influence. Religion? Yeah. Really, no offense to any religious person listening, but it's just, it's it's really caused a lot of, it's ruined everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's all uh, of it. Yeah, it, and it's let's just get rid of it. I know. OK, so um, <laughs> they use their influence to end many traditional practices of the people. Right. So of all of their now it's pagan. Yeah. And, God, during Heathenistic. the reign, <laughs> during the reign of King Kamahamahia the third, Hawaii turned into a Christian monarchy with the uh. signing of the 1840 Constitution. So this, so the 1840 Constitution is a is a document that, um, it's more similar to a Declaration of Rights, and it stated simply that the government was based on Christian values and equality for all. And the 1840 Constitution of the Kingdom of Hawaii was a turning point in Hawaiian government. So it well, basically now it's like a theolo- like well, it theocracy. basically is like our declaration. Like it was, it was setting up a. Uh, uh, a democracy, like a government, more than a, a monarchy. You know what I mean? Like just a, right, you but have with, elected but officials, but with religious rule. Yes, like under God. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so Hiram Bingham the first, a prominent Protestant minis- missionary, was a trusted advisor to the monarchy during this period. Other missionaries and their descendants became active in commercial and political affairs, leading to conflicts between the monarchy and its impatient American subjects. 
that because now people are living there, they're having their families, right. they're being born there. It's just like well, you and know. they're getting in the industry of trade and yes. fishing and yes. whatnot. The death of the bachelor king Kamahamahiha the fifth, who did not name an heir, resulted in the popular election of King Luna Leo. Luna Leo died the next year, also without naming an heir. So now this power structure, like struggle, Shifting, starts to happen. Yeah. Um, in the 1874, the election uh, was contested of the Lealuha. Like even after his death, it was contested, and the legislature uh, within the legislature between Kalakua and Emma, Queen Corn, Consort of Kamahia the Sixth. So they wanted to put this next person in power, and they couldn't decide who to, who to put in. So as after riots broke out because of this 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 uproar of who's who they're going to put in power. The United States and Brit- Britain landed troops on the island oh, to restore no. order. Well, now they see a great opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Well, that's the whole point is they love these islands because of the military strategic of point of where it is in the, in the yes. world. Yes. Which is the whole underlying part of this whole thing, right? So King Kalakuha was chosen as monarch by the Legislative Assembly by vote by a vote of 39 to 6 on February 12th, 1874. So in 1887, Kalakuha was forced to sign the 1887 Constitution of the Kingdom of Hawaii. Drafted by white businessmen and lawyers, the document stripped the king of much of his authority. Oh, so that's like, you you have a nice title. Yeah. But you can't do anything with it. Right. It established a property qualification for voting that effectively disenfranchised most Hawaiians and oh. immigrant laborers and favored the wealthier white elite. <laughs> Resident whites were allowed to vote, but resident Asians were not. Oh, dear. At the, as the 1887 Constitution was signed under threat of violence, it is also known as the Bayonet Constitution. So he's basically has guns pointed at him, the king, to sign this thing. Right. King Kalakuha, reduced to a figurehead, reigned until his death in 1891. His sister, Queen Lily Yukalani, succeeded him, and she was the last monarch of Hawaii. In 1893, Queen Lily Yukalani announced plans for a new constitution to proclaim herself an absolute monarch. Ooh, Basically, nice girl. go fuck yeah. yourself. Get right? out. She's like, I don't fucking think so. Yeah. Right? We're changing some shit around here. Going- I love this lady so much. <laughs> I've got a picture of her we're going to put in our... In- on our, in our notes and on Instagram, it's so uh. she's so fucking badass. Um, in uh, on so then on January fourteenth, eighteen ninety three, a group of mostly Euro American business leaders and residents formed the Committee of Safety oh, to stage a coup d'état against the kingdom and seek seek annexation by the United States. Oh no! Okay, so this isn't the people of Hawaii no. who want to be annexed, become a territory. This is these white. Business they leaders. They see the money. Yeah. They, it's, it's, and now here comes this woman who's like, go fuck yourself. Yes. And they're like, okay, now we're going to bring the government, the United States, full reign down on your right. ass, right? And that's it. Yeah. So the United States government minister, John L. Stevens, responded to a request from the Committee of Safety, summoned a company of U.S. Marines. Oh, the gosh. Queen soldiers, of course, did not resist. They can't fight against yeah, the fucking U.S. Marines. Yeah. According to historian William Russ, the monarchy was unable to protect itself. On January 17th, 1893, Queen Lily Yukalani was overthrown and replaced by a provisional government composed of members of the Committee of Safety. Oh. This is so much like Wilmington. Yes. That's what it reminds me of. They just... Yeah. So then what happens to her? She's just gone. Yeah. But she comes back a few years later. She tries to get her her power back a few years later, um, but they put her in jail and she wrote this whole letter that is also awesome. And I will put that in our notes too. Um, where she's just like, all right, you got me, right? Like, but she, they put her in jail. She sat there for a really long time before she finally was like, okay, 
you know? And she had to write to the president of the United States oh to get out. Oh, my God. I know. It's her yeah. home. I know. <laughs> um, the United States minister to the kingdom of Hawaii, John L. Stevens, conspired with the U.S. citizens to overthrow the monarchy. After the overthrow, lawyer Sanford B. Dole, a citizen of Hawaii, became president of the republic when the provisional government of Hawaii ended on July 4th, 1894. Is he of like the Dole pineapple? He's the cousin. Clan? I had to look that up. His cousin then came to Hawaii and started that business. And he, this and, guy did, was like, do not put our family name on it. And he was like, fuck Dole, right on it. Right. <laughs> fucking Dole. No, it was his cousin. But it's still, it was a huge, sugarcane yeah. and pineapple were yeah. like the biggest, um, God. Uh, yeah, exports. They just, I know. Take and take and take and take and take and take. Yeah. That's like the theme of America. I know. Give it to me. Yeah. Ugh. Controversy ensued in the following years as the queen tried to regain her throne. The administration of President Grover Cleveland commissioned the Blount, the Blount Report, which concluded that the removal of Lil, Lily Ukulani had been illegal. The U.S. government first demanded that Queen Lily Ukulani be reinstated, but oh. the provisional government refused. Congress then conducted an independent investigation and on February 26, 1894, submitted the Morgan Report, which found all parties, including Minister Stevens, not guilty and not responsible for the coup. Partisans on both sides of the debate questioned the accuracy and impartiality of both the Blunt and Morgan reports over the events of 1893. Um, basically, what happens is Cleveland gets out, right, and McKinley comes in. So Cleveland was an anti-imperialist, right? So he doesn't okay. think that we should be going off and like and just get, taking over. Yeah. So instead of listening to what the president said, Cleveland, it was like, get the, she should, needs to be up there. Yeah. They just waited his term out. Right. We'll just wait till the next president comes in and then we'll, we'll try to do this all over again. Right. The, she's still gone, but we're not going to respond to him, them telling us to get out of office. Right. We're going to wait. So that's what they did. So after Mc, William McKinley won the 1896 U.S. presidential election, advocates pressed to annex the Republic of Hawaii. The pre previous president, Grover Cleveland, of course, like I said, didn't want to do that. Um, and McKinley was open to persuasion by U.S. expansionists and by annexists, expansionists and for, for, from Hawaii, right? So he would meet with them and he was like, cool. So he met with three non-natives, Lauren A. Thurston. When I say non-natives, I mean non-natives of right, Hawaii. Right. Lauren A. Thurston, Francis March Hatch, and William Ansel Kinney. After negotiations in June 1897, Secretary of State John Sherman agreed to a treaty of annexation with these representatives of the Republic of Hawaii. So okay. nobody actually from... I was going to say that no there's no, no representation none, from... None. These are all just white people who yeah. showed up on the island, was like, we're in charge. Right. And they're going to... Give us the island. Yeah. They want it the way they want it. Yeah. Um, the U.S. Okay. Senate never ratified the treaty. Despite the opposition of most native Hawaiians, the New the Newlands Resolution was used to annex the Republic to the U.S. It became the territory of Hawaii. The Newlands Resolution was passed by the House on June 15, 1898, by 209 votes in favor, in favor, and by the Senate on July 6, 1898, by a vote of 42 to 21. The 1900 in 1900, Hawaii was granted self-governance and retained. Ayalani Palace as a territorial capital building. Despite several attempts to become a state, Hawaii remained a territory for 60 years. Right. For a long time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the white men in Congress not wanting people of color to have a place at the table. You right. know what I mean? A lot of, of it was just like, no, we don't need the, you know, despite, um, okay. So plantation owners and capitalists who maintain control through financial institutions, such as the big five, which was all the sugar, the sugar yeah. cane companies were called the big five. 
found territorial status convenient because they remained able to import cheap foreign labor. <laughs> Such immigration labor God. practices were prohibited in many states, but they're over there in the middle of nowhere. Right. And it's not yeah. a state and they yes. could just exploit and exploit and exploit. Yes. God. Puerto Rican immigration to Hawaii began in 1899 when Puerto Rico's sugar industry was devastated by a hurricane, causing a worldwide shortage of sugar and a huge demand for sugar from Hawaii. Hawaiian sugarcane plantation owners began to recruit experienced unemployed laborers in Puerto Rico. Two waves of Korean immigration to Hawaii occurred in the 20th century. The first wave between 1903 and 1924. The second wave began in 1965 after President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, which removed racial and national barriers and resulted in significantly altering the demographic mix in the United States. Johnson mm. was the one who was really against the statehood, too. He's one of those Southern Democrats, you know? Yep. So in the 1950s, the power of the plantation owners was broken by the descendants of immigrant laborers who were born in Hawaii and were U.S. citizens. They voted against the Hawaii Republican Party, strongly supported by the plantation owners. The new majority voted for the Democratic Party of Hawaii, which dominated territorial and state politics for more than 40 years. Mm. Eager to gain full representation in Congress and the Electoral College, residents actively campaigned for statehood. Now, as I say that, right. I want you to understand that residents are not, not the indigenous of people. Of course not. Right? Like, we have like, to remember they, that. They're probably like, please just get out. But yes. They'll never get out. Right. And so we have to remember that residents at this point now in the 1950s are immigrants that have come there, mostly right. white, mostly wealthy. Like, these are people who have now been there for and a long, long time. And they want to be part of the U.S. and have yes. the benefits of what that will bring them. Yes. And not... Yes. Of course, the indigenous folks there wouldn't still have access to many of that. Exactly. Yeah. So in Washington, there was a talk that Hawaii would be a Republican Party stronghold. So it was matched with the admission of Alaska seen as a Democratic stronghold, um, which, of course, proves to be completely opposite. Um, In March 1959, Congress uh, passed the Hawaiian Admissions Act, which U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed into law. On June 27, 1959, a referendum asked residents of Hawaii to vote on the statehood bill, and 94% voted in favor of statehood. Yeah, who's voting? Exactly. <laughs> who's got the right to vote? After attaining statehood, Hawaii quickly modernized through construction and a rapidly growing tourism economy. The Hawaii State Constitutional Convention of 1978 created institutions such as the Office of Hawaiian Affairs to pr- promote indigenous language and culture. Because also... When but that's part of the tour. I would imagine that that would benefit the tourism yeah. industry for them. But also when you when when Christians come in, they also bring schools. And so they take all of these indigenous indigenous children and try to teach them English. And, yes. you know, a lot of their culture is wiped, whitewashed, right? Like it's gone after these missionaries come in. Yes. You know, and so they lose a lot of these gener- generations of indigenous folks that just grow up and don't don't have that culture of that, that language because it's completely wiped away, yeah. you know? Okay, so the aftermath. In 1993, the U.S. Congress passed a joint apology resolution regarding the overthrow. It was signed by <laughs> President Bill Clinton. The resolution apologized and said that the overthrow was illegal in the following fa- phrase, quote, the Congress on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of the illegal overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii on January 17, 1893, acknowledges the historical significance of this event, which resulted in the suppression of the inherent sovereignty of the I Native mean, Hawaiian people, end quote. And? 
What are you going to do for them now? <laughs> the apology resolution also, quote, acknowledges that the overthrow of the kingdom of Hawaii occurred with the active participation of agents and citizens of the United States and further acknowledges that the native Hawaiian people were never directly relinquished to the United States. Uh, I'm sorry, never pr- directly relinquished their United States, their claims to the inherent sovereignty as a people over their national lands, either through the kingdom of Hawaii or through a referendum. Okay, so they just have this paper now. Yeah. Didn't we apologize for slavery? Please. Wasn't there wasn't there an apology to Yeah, people? weren't there supposed to be uh reparations? Yeah. Don't oh, please. <sighs> okay. Well, you know, anybody shocked out there yet? <laughs> where, why we are where we are. So while Hawaii is internationally recognized as a state of the United States, um Uh, While being also broadly accepted as such in mainstream understanding, the legality of this status has been questioned in UN, sorry, U.S. District Court, the UN and other international forums. Domestically, the debate is a topic covered in the Kamahimaha schools curriculum and in classes at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, Manoa. Um, political because that's the only place they're going to teach yeah. it. You don't learn this in the U.S. In uh, the history US curriculum. Books. No, yeah. no, I love that though. Yeah, political organization uh, organizations seeking some form of sovereignty for Hawaii Ooh. have been active since the late 19th century. Generally, their focus is on self determination and self governance, either for Hawaii as an independent nation. Um, in many proposals for Hawaii, Hawaiian nationals descended from subjects of the Hawaiian kingdom or declaring themselves such by choice or for people of whole or part native American ancestry in an indigenous quote nation to nation relationship akin to tribal sovereignty with the U S federal recognition of native Hawaiians. So kind of what um, native American troops, troops, native American people, tribes tribes have here. Yes. Right. On the mainland. I like that. Mm -hmm. Opponents of the tribal approach argue it is not a legitimate path to Hawaiian nationhood. They also argue that the U.S. government should not be involved in reestablishing Hawaiian sovereignty. (laughs) Get rid of the U.S. Haven't they already been involved in that, though? (laughs) Haven't they already been involved? The Hawaiian sovereignty movement views the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii in 1893 as illegal and views the subsequent annexation of Hawaii by the United States as illegal. The movement seeks some form of greater autonomy for Hawaii, such as a free association or independence from the United States. Yeah, be a free association state. Yeah. I like that. Some groups also advocate some form of redress from the United States for the the 1893 overthrow of Queen Lily Yukalani and for what is described as a prolonged military occupation beginning with the 1898 annexation. Mm. The apology resolution passed by Congress in 1993 is cited as a major impetus for the by the movement for Hawaiian sovereignty. The sovereignty movement considers Hawaii to be an illegally occupied nation. Mm. Well, mm. now they have this apology, so they do have documented Something. evidence that the United States has said, yes, we were wrong in this, right. that it was not taken fairly justly so i think they got some i'm all for it can we vote yeah (laughs) but now puerto rico they're trying to make puerto rico state i don't know how many people uh in puerto rico really there's i'm sure there's a a a part of it a part of the people there are like no you know yeah because they really come in there and set up their military bases that's really what the whole port of part of why i think there's six military bases in hawaii they want to go in and help when there is you know, a disaster, right? Or hurricane? You, know, I mean, remember all of that when the hurricane in Puerto Rico? When you mean yes. when the president threw paper towels yes. at people? Yeah, yes, and still haven't received the aid that they yes. were promised. Give me a break! Oh 
God, it's like we just use and abuse. It's so, and and, and we're just so ugh, dismissive. I know. The news has been pretty bad lately. I, I, I've had to a couple times just stop listening. I cannot like, even when I people don't. are talking to me about something, my mom brings up Trump and I'm like, oh God, please. I, I cannot know. take another fucking second of listening about another thing that's happening. It's too much. It is way too much yeah. because it's every single thing. It's every day. It is. Um, it's every day. But then we do the podcast. And I think we were talking about this last night. It's like, it's exhausting because we go back to the 1800s it's and we like, go, oh, that's right. We're all, we've always been shitty. Yeah. Like when is there going to be a time when, when we change, but it's that human behavior, that human condition. It just well, never it's, fucking changes. It's an changes. American. I've, I mean, I think there's part of this that just, I think Americans are just damaged. We're damaged. Yeah. Oh, God. We're a damaged country built on. Right, you know, so maybe we've been cursed in that way because of the way that... Our, yeah, the way we yeah. built our country. God dang it. Dang it. <laughs> dang it. <laughs> All right, uh, let's hit it. Hit me with it. Let's do it. Hey, I'm Lauren. And I'm John. And we host the Beard Out Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest things in the world, beer and Beard Out. And a lot of other things. We're funny. Uh, yeah, that's basically what I told him to say. Good job with your I script. Listen. Yay. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, we try and pair a beer with a Weird Al song and talk about both things and go where the conversation takes us. It's fun. I promise. You'll like it. Yeah. I mean, if you like talking about random things as well as, you know, fine craft beers and some wonderful craft music. My story, I have some funny little parts, so um, good. Let, yeah, yeah. I'm, let's. I'm ready for it, and I like him because it's a, uh, it's one of these Italian Americans. Oh, it's one I, of these I, Italian Americans. I'm in predicting office. a Goodfellas, <laughs> Sopranos, Godfather quotes oh, among God. are coming. <laughs> so today, I'm going to tell you the story of Vincent Buddy. Cianci. Oh my god! Do you I know this? this? Do you know yes, this? Really? Fucking um, Rhode Island? Yes! yes. Oh my god! <laughs> He's on my list. Is he on your list? I, there's a whole podcast about this guy. Oh, it's He's a, incredible. Oh my god. Well, you know. Oh my god. Buddy Cianci. Ooh, of Providence, Rhode Island. Yes. So Providence is a huge mob community. Yes. Okay, so wait a minute. There's a, there's a podcast called. It's like Crime Town. Yes, Crime Town. Yes. <gasps> yes. So good. Crime Town. Yes, Providence, Rhode Island. Yes. I don't, I, I feel like I'm, I'm touching on the main points of okay. this guy. No, because there's okay, so much. There's, there's so much. Oh my God. Let's do it. Oh, I'm so excited. Buddy Siansi. Yes. I, I know, I got that black hair in my face. Does oh. he wear a wig? Is it a toupee? He's too, he, uh, he had a collection of toupees. Yes, yes, yes. That makes me, <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering too, um, with the reference of the toupee, is do dudes do that anymore? Like are sure. still a thing for guys? Yeah. I think like maybe guys like seventy and up, but are like people of our generation when no, they, they shave their head now, right? Like yeah, now shave they the shave whole their thing. head. Like, you know, I feel like our generation once we get to sixty, mm-hmm. are they gonna start moving to toupees? No. Or is that uh, like old me? Who knows? I always love a good toupee. Or the bad toupees when at the back it it's flat, but you still oh. see the old, the regular hair underneath. My aunt used to know a guy. <laughs> oh my um, 
<laughs> this guy, uh, Joe, we'll just say Joe. And he had a toupee that was just so awful. And when we were little kids, like we would just laugh all the time, like, and giggle when he would come over because it just looked ridiculous. And it would but be like, so you're going to marry Joe with his toupee. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to marry Joe. It's so sad. <laughs> it's sad. He was a nice guy. But man, and it was one of those like. But it's like seeing a woman with really bad plastic surgery. We were like, oh, uh, poor thing. Like, you know, they're just, they're hanging on to this idea of being youthful or young. Like, it's all right. Lose your hair, man. It's happening. Yeah. I feel like some people can pull it off. Some guys can pull it off. It depends on like the way they're. Head is shaped. I don't know. Do you remember that episode of Seinfeld? Oh my God. I when, thought you were going to say Curb Your Enthusiasm because I remember the one that, that episode was great too. But what, oh, when George wears the toupee? No, no, no. The one where Elaine dates the guy and he's got like, he's bald, but he like shaves his head bald and oh. she's like all down with it. And then she's like, well, I wonder what Grow you look back. like. And when he grows it back, he's got a little bald spot yeah. and she dumps him. And he's like, what? <laughs> she's, what about the one where George wears the toupee and she grabs it up? She's like, you're bald. Oh, cause, cause he goes on a date and she's, she, the lady's bald and she's like, I can't date somebody. She's like, you're bald. And she rips it off his head and throws it out the window. <laughs> but there's an episode of Curvy Enthusiasm. I guarantee, I, I guess. It's probably the first season where oh, I love that show. They, he refuses to give teenagers candy at the door. Like they're not oh, yeah. costume for Halloween. And so they come back in toilet paper yes. at his house and they write bald asshole yes. on the door. <laughs> and then he says to the cops, like, this is a hate crime. And the guy's like, well, I'm bald. He's like, no offense, officer, but that's a style. Like you're choosing to shave your head. Like you're not part of our community. Oh my God. Not part of the bald community. So I remember that. Good. God, that show. Anyway, uh, Buddy Sianzi wears a toupee. <laughs> yes, he does. And he served as the longest running mayor of Providence, Rhode Island from 1975 to 1984. And then he served again from 1991 to 2002. The best. So, but when the FBI oh. gets wind of a possible corruption scandal, Buddy may have been too Buddy Buddy with local scoundrels and found himself in the muck, girl. Yes. So Providence, Rhode Island, I have to say, I have a friend, Keith, who's from there. And whenever I hear Providence, it just reminds me of him. So Keith, if you're listening. And um, Providence is like a, such a cute, right? Isn't it a cute little town? Is it very LGBTQ? Is this the right Providence I'm thinking of? Or is that Providence, Massachusetts? Like, where am I at here? Um, that I don't know. I mean, it's a tiny New England state. Yeah. It's not really an island. It has lots of water. Um, the fun facts that I have about Providence are <laughs> um, they have the oldest carousel there. It's called the Flying Horse Carousel. Yeah. Um, it was the first act, uh, state, though, to enact a homeless uh, bill of rights, which I thought was oh, that's cool. cool. Yeah, and they're all about clams, and they have something called a stuffy, which they describe as a clam donut, but it's not like a sweet; it's a savory. Mm. But it's basically like, you know, on the shell of the the breadcrumbs, and it's like a puffed up little. Ugh. I don't know. Gross. Yeah, to me, it sounds really. They good. also have a really amazing art school that I would love my daughter to go to one Ooh. day if she wants to go way that far. Uh, I would die, but <laughs> I just feel like people who go to Providence have like their summer homes. I just feel like it's a very, mm -hmm. you know, you have to have money to go vacation. But it's Providence. also like a locally, it's like a tough, it's a tough town. Like, yes. right. There's one tough, tough people. Who live lots there. of crime. Lots of yeah. Italians. Yeah. yeah. Lots of all Italians. right. Well, let's not, let's not throw the, all the Italians in, the, I know. in one boat. I know. Well, listen, I'm, I'm, I feel like you well, can do that. I, can I can't. That. <laughs> <laughs> so before I go, into details about the crime, let's give a little bit of background on him. So um, I'm not going to go through his whole uh, his whole life, but he is an Italian-American. And some accounts I read refer to him a little bit like he's like was a little bit Tony Soprano, yeah. a little bit, you know, he's a mix of 
you know, these different folks. But I was like, oh, there's Tony, <laughs> Tony Soprano. And according to a Providence Phoenix article by, Jack's White, uh, by Jack White, Cianci was referred to often as a Jekyll and Hyde mm. type of guy. And that, you know, there was the one buddy Cianci that was just, you know, charismatic and jovial and all of this. And then there was this other dark side of Cianci. So, um, and he also was known to rule pretty harshly. And in fact, um, the article notes that he was found of Machiavelli's statement of it's better to be feared than loved. And for him, it was all about maintaining power. And so he made enemies of his friends and friends of his enemies. Like mm. that was like the type of guy that he was. So when he was first mayor, he ran in 1974 as a Republican and he ran his campaign um, on anti-corruption. And in fact, <laughs> um, his first campaign poster reads, Buddy Cianci for mayor, the anti-corruption candidate. And I, and I think though, because when people run like that, it's because there's corruption happening in City right. Hall. And, and so he's they, like, I'm going to fix yes, it. Right. So in his first role as mayor, he seemed fine, really well liked by the community. And um, he runs for governor in 1980. He loses. He ends up registering as an independent. And from the accounts that I read, uh, he even said, so there's like a book written about him and he says like that he would even attend the opening of an envelope. Like yeah. he went everywhere, like every parade, weddings, barbecues, like people had an event like, Hey, what's up? Here I am. I'm showing yeah. up like, Beloved. he was, he, no, yeah, yeah, like he went everywhere and everyone's yeah. like, God, like that. So they remember him in that way of like always being around and showing up. Um, but his first time as mayor ends, um, because of an altercation with a local contractor. So some accounts uh, of this altercation are pretty crazy. Okay. So the story goes that Cianci <laughs> suspects his wife. So his wife is estranged. So they were married um, and then they're kind of separated. And he starts suspecting that she's banging this local contractor named Raymond DeLeo. Mm-hmm. So according to an article by Simon Van Zulen Wood in Boston Magazine, Cianci's like, DeLeo, why don't you come by? Stop over. I need to talk to you for a little you, bit. That's the scariest face <laughs> I've ever seen you make. It's, come on, stop over. Just come over. Yeah. And so he invites DeLeo over and DeLeo's like, okay. Hi. <laughs> Here I am. Cianci uh, also has a local cop present. During okay. this visit. Oh, God. That prevents the guy from leaving. Oh, Jesus Okay, so he Christ. uses, so he's mayor, and he uses a police officer, <laughs> like, to basically at the door with the gun, like, yeah. you're not going ever, anywhere, guy. But it's this whole scene. You can this, imagine can you the imagine scene. That the lady's probably like, what's going on? <laughs> but he also, like... Just because he's fucking your wife that you're not well, he, with he's anymore? suspecting it. But okay, it, right. So but and Deleo's like, like, it's not true. It's not true. I'm happily married. I'm not hooking up with your right, wife. Right, right, right. So Cianci proceeds to hit mm. and throw objects at Deleo. Objects like, you know, firewood. Uh, burns him with cigarettes. I mean, tortures the guy for hours. Like, just beats the hell out of Holy this guy. Shit. Um, he threw. I mean, he's throwing like fireplace logs at the guy. It's wild. So, um. Gawker notes further violence, uh, citing an article by Mike Stanton in the Providence Journal. And this Mike Stanton later wrote a book about Cianci called The Prince of Providence, <laughs> noting that he beat him severely. And he basically had paperwork. And he's like, I want you to sign this paper saying that you had an affair with my wife 
you're going to give me uh, $500,000 because of it. Like, that's what you owe me now because you did this thing. And you're going to sign it and you're going to pay me my money. Right? It's like the scene, I'm going to, I got to do it. Yeah, yeah, do it. Remember the scene from Goodfellas? He's like, uh, well, there's two. Um, <laughs> well, the one, I guess, would be Godfather. It's like, you know, either your brains or your signature mm-hmm. is going to be on this paper. But then I also think of, uh, you bring any mail to this kid's house. I'm going to put you into the oven head first. <laughs> and they, they take the mailman because he's getting in trouble for not going to school. Yeah. <laughs> you hear me? Uh, so it's basically, it's that scene. Like, you're going to sign this. And the guy is like, no, no, no. He doesn't want to sign the paper. And then finally, he's like, I had to sign it. Like, I'm going to sign it or else I'm going to, they're going to kill me. So he, he signs um, the paper. But my favorite part is, Sansi's like, you're going to be dead. D-E-D. <laughs> What? <laughs> You're gonna be dead. <laughs> Tina, just end the story. I can't fucking take it anymore. Oh my god. This <laughs> guy, he's the mayor of a fucking city. It's my favorite. Buddy oh my god. But the, is the, the, best. the fact that he spells it D E D. Yeah, no. Gonna be dead. Dead. Oh my god. So, <laughs> so. But then later, CNC's like people, like, he's like, basically, everyone's making a mountain out of a molehill. He's like, <laughs> he goes, this is a quote from him. Okay. That was a domestic thing, blown way out of proportion. It was almost mythic, you know, logs. It was a fight, period. Lasted three minutes, if that. <laughs> you know that you put a total... Uh, um, I got to do it. Yeah, but you put that Italian, uh, you're doing this thing yes, when I you have say to that. Do it. I have it's to do it. So I read that and I was like, how funny. Like, he's just like, nah, it didn't happen like that. That's hilarious. So the result of that fight, because this is... You know, this isn't like he just punched some guy in the face. No, he's he, burning it with he's cigarettes. Throwing, he's throwing firewood at him. Oh, my God. So the result, but the guy gets, I mean, he's severely hurt um, yeah. after this. And another account says not only was a police officer there, but that there was a judge present as well. Wait, what? Yeah. So, but I couldn't find like who the judge was or full confirmation, but that's a, another article did note that. So he's like, he's got these people there and this guy I just imagine him on the chair like, I didn't do anything. Like, I'm not sleeping with your wife. So he ends up having to plead no contest. So he does not admit guilt to this crime. Yeah, but come on. But he pleads no contest. And as a result of that, because he's convicted of assault, he has to resign his first seat as mayor because um, in Rhode Island, convicted felons cannot hold a seat. Mm. So he's forced to resign. He doesn't get jail time. He got a five-year suspended sentence. And he had to forego that seat, like I said. But this is the funniest part is that then they run a special election. Yeah. Right. And he tries to run in the special what election because he's like, well, I can run. And they're like, no, you just got kicked out of the seat <laughs> oh my God. because you were convicted. Like you can't. So he went to court and everything. And the courts are like, no, dude, you cannot run. So he has to wait this five year suspended sentence um, out. Right. They're, they're like, the whole point yeah. is we're replacing you Ooh. because of what you did. Oh my God. So, so there's this little gap um, before becoming mayor again in 1991. And so he gets a new gig. Do you know what his new gig was? Oh, I forget. So he becomes a radio talk show host. Yes. I, yes, I just yes, think yes. it's so wonderful. So according to WJAR10, radio becomes the second career for Cianci. And again, like he's like this really charismatic guy and he tells these stories and he yes. has a way. But doesn't he even talk about uh, this incident yes, and say like, he, oh, this is, you know. Yeah, yeah he yeah, talks yeah. about everything. Yes. And so like people like hearing about like all the stuff. Yes. And so his former boss, like the guy that, 
hires him uh, at the station the first time, Ron St. Pierre had this to say. He was charismatic, incredibly quick on his feet, great with an ad lib. He was glib, had great institutional knowledge. It was all about telling stories, and he certainly had a number of those. There's no question about that. Yeah. He very much is like Tony Soprano. The whole thing about Tony Soprano is he was a likable guy, but he was a a, a crazy monster, like, you know, a murderer. But he was also, like, really likable. Not that Buddy Cianti's a murderer, but, like, it was just so, he was such a likable guy, but he's also capable of, like, the most darkest things. things. Yeah, Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that sociopath ability. Because what some people said, too, was that, they felt like he was always talking to them and they, they mm-hmm. felt this connect. So he knew, I mean, cause with imagine? sociopaths, they do this thing where they reflect what like yes. your mannerisms, they reflect mm. certain actions that they think that you appeal to you because they know how to study a person that yeah. way. But also it's and that so they whole give thing back like, what people want. Yes. But also like, do you imagine the mayor showing up to your barbecue or your yeah. wedding? It's like a huge, like people really feel like that's such a big deal. Yeah. Oh, and the they remember coming. that yes. shit when it's time to vote. Yes. Oh, he, buddy was given a hard time, right? Yes. He was given a, a hard break. This is a bad break. So he can't, he does that because he can't run. And then he runs again in 1990. So that, that time has elapsed and he serves from his election and he takes office in 91 until 2002. And this go round, like people still dig him. They like yeah. him. And he does, I mean, he brings in a hockey team. Um, he brings in the arts and, you know, like we always say, though, people have really short memories. Like mm-hmm. they don't remember that he, you know, <laughs> held the guy hostage yeah. and beat the hell out of him. So the major incident which gets him out of this second term, I mean, like the fact that he gets like kicked out of being mayor twice. Yeah. Is um, the FBI gets involved in what's called Operation Plunderdome. Oh, my God. <laughs> Operation Plunderdome. So uh, they start investigating Cianci. Um, and his guys and these people around him, and they realize that things are pretty corrupt. Plus, there's a secret videotape of Cianci taking a bribe. So they have it on video. So they have that direct evidence. And I feel like we need to, like, compile, like, clips of all these secret tapes that we've talked about and just have, like... That would be awesome. I just think I have a watch party (laughs) (laughs) of all these dummy dums. I don't know. D-E-D. Yeah. (laughs) D. E D dead. That's <laughs> <laughs> so short D at the end. Oh my god! So in 2001, they get Buddy for 27 charges. So he's Whoa. up on 27 charges <laughs> that are combined from racketeering, conspiracy, witness tampering, and mail fraud. So according to Ballopedia, Buddy and his crew took 1.5 million oh by extorting, god. and primarily they did they did this through um, cash campaign contributions. Um, they extorted a tow truck company for about $250,000 to keep them as the tow company of record for the police department. And that sounds like a very mob kind of thing. You like, you know, Mm -hmm. you want this contract with the cops, you're going to give us this money. So they did stuff like that. They milked a school, um, out of 1.3, the school, like the school board out of $1.3 million, um, to rent a space in one of the co-conspirators auto body shop. So they're like, same thing, like, you're going to rent the space out. We're going to get money for that. And then Cianci also tried to bribe $10,000 in a real estate deal, $10,000 for tax reduction. And then this other one was he uh, did a $5,000 bribe because he wanted a lifetime membership at like this, uh, at a club. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the club comes back into play with the witness tampering mm. because he tried to influence testimony from a city official regarding that club. And so he gets in, in trouble. So he gets um, indicted basically uh, only on one. He gets one of those 27 charges. So like 26 get dropped. Wow. And one the one charge that they were basically able to hold him on was racketeering conspiracy and running a corrupt uh, criminal business. But all the other stuff they couldn't, they couldn't get him on. So, but he does get sentenced to jail. He gets five years in prison. He tries to appeal and he loses. Yay. Goes to jail, has to resign. Yes. And that's sort of it. But, you know, he gets out of jail and he's still the guy that, you know, he goes back to the radio and yeah. like everybody loves no, him. No, he's still beloved there. Yes. Like they, I mean, they loved, loved, loved him. Yeah. So some points of interest. Um, I thought it was interesting. There was this uh, article about his wife and he was pretty abusive to her. Right. So she stayed with him because remember his first run as mayor is in the Mm seventies. And back then he was like, we have to stay together because I can't run as a divorced person. Like Mm -hmm. then like you had to be married. Right. um, To, to, to look like this family guy or to have a little more value, I guess, as a candidate. So she stays because they thought this is going to look bad if we divorce. Um, and then she stays because then, you know, he wanted to run again, you know, after the, uh, night. So they, they kind of like were estranged, not fully divorced. And then she finally kind of gets away from him. And, um, she just said that she stayed quiet about everything that he did. And she doesn't really speak out until after, um, he dies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because she's like, he knows powerful people and she's just like, I'm not. I'm not getting involved. And she Dang. even said that like when people would recognize her, like, Oh, weren't you buddy Cianci's wife? And Oh no, no, no. That woman was a lot older than me. Like she wouldn't admit to it. Cause she just didn't want anything to do with him. But a couple of stories that she shared, I thought was just funny. Um, she caught him cheating and drew a gun on him and asked him like, are you ready to dance for Jesus? Oh my God. What <laughs> a fucking That line. reminds me of the scene in Goodfellas too, yeah. <laughs> where she's like standing with the gun and yeah. he like, he flips in the, up. in the robe in the, yeah. Well, can I, and she's like something? on the bed with him yes. and he wakes up. What's the, um, what is the thing? Like even in the Sopranos, when Carmela would like even look at somebody, Tony would freak the fuck out. But meanwhile, he's fucking every person that he walks past him. What is that a possession know, thing? That's like is the it double a, standard because so one bizarre. that it makes him look like a fool oh, that his right. wife is doing that. Okay, but there, are, you know, it's like, um, you know, you have your gumar on the side. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. you know, you're, you know, you're torturing some guy with cigarettes over here because yeah. I mean, it's oh so- yeah, and he had plenty of affairs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and God. the one time when she caught him cheating, another time she flushed one of his toupees down the toilet <laughs> and he flipped out. <laughs> get it bitch. oh my god blood that fun oh, toilet dear god so uh, i just thought that was funny so they did a play about him uh, in his life and it's called the ballad of buddy which mm. i think is great uh, my other favorite thing is that he made pasta sauce and he sold it so he had all these jars of, of, of pasta and um they, they sold it like high-end stores in rhode island in providence and he would give them out to celebrities who came to town and like hillary clinton came once and he's like she's got a jar <laughs> she got a jar of his sauce oh my gosh Oh my God. And then I talked about, we talked about the two pays. And then my favorite is 2014 after getting out of jail. He runs again. He ran again for mayor, but he, he lost and he did have cancer at the time that he was running, but he did it anyway. Yeah. Um, and then he, he does pass away in 2016. 
And that's the story. Those are some of the highlights of Buddy C. Yancey, Prince of Providence, local legend, and Rapscallion. <laughs> so. So good, Tina. That podcast, The Crime Town, about Buddy C. Yes. Is so well, good. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like all these different yes. episodes about little different things. And then it's like about them. There's yes. one episode of him. But going into his character, what he was like, it is so good. It yeah. is so good. And he, yeah, I mean... It also remind, reminded me of the the trafficant guy that we did from yes. Youngstown early, early on. You know, like this this guy that's just sort of loud, you know, like mm. center of attention and has a way with people. Yeah. And they loved him. Wow. They loved him, did not, um, <laughs> you know, they voted for him again. And it's like, dude, you did all of this stuff and- it doesn't matter. He ran I, again. I'm telling you what, we in Broward County have a, a terrible sheriff's race, terrible sheriff's race, and awful people running. I don't even know what's going to happen. And the Sun Sentinel just endorsed somebody, but the basically the line was the first sentence of the newspaper endorsement was like, all these choices are terrible, but like, here's the wor- <laughs> the best of the yeah. worst. Like, it was the lesser of like, all evils. Yeah. Which so, I don't agree. I don't either. And I just, I, 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 it's a terrible race. I don't even know what to tell people when they I ask, like, who, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I have to tell you. This might be the first time in my life that I don't put a vote in. I oh. I, I know, but I can't. I'm, I'm, I can't I'm leaning towards in that. one person who I feel like is the. Ugh. I just don't know. It's the worst. But because, but what the reason I'm bringing that up is because not because I just love talking about that race, but is because of how quickly people forget. And yes. this one person is is done. A, 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 enormous amount of terrible things in our county and continues to run as if he's a fucking savior and it's so horrible and it's just it's so insulting to the families in parkland and like it just it's just shocking to me and he's claim he claims to be a victim like that's the worst part of the whole thing and so i'm over it like cut it out cut it out (laughs) that's from uh yeah house yes God, but like seen that in a long time. can't we just fucking get good people running yes <laughs> get someone decent or the other great things are people who run who did things maybe 10 years ago and actually have the balls to show their face yes, again that's the thing and then when the endorsement stuff comes out and they mention it the person's like i don't know anything about that i'm like well oh 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 we forget <laughs> how soon we all forget like we it's not that long ago you uh, know there's someone running in a certain race locally yeah. That I feel that way about. I don't get it. Like, wait, what are you doing? It's so embarrassing, too. It is. <sighs> Girl. Okay. D-E-D. Dead. That's the name of this episode. I wrote Dead. it down. I wrote down D-E-D. <laughs> title of episode 31. <laughs> oh, my God. And anytime you want to say or a, a quote <laughs> and use that uh, that thing that happens at the I end don't know of how when I you're do, I don't know it. How I, it just happens. It's, it comes out naturally. Yeah. I have to good. be in the moment. It's really good. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, my God. But All right. when I heard that, that, that he spelled it that way, I... Could not stop laughing. Like, I mean, the only so the, the how they know that is because this guy must have said it in the police yes. report. Like he kept telling me, "I'm gonna be dead." D E D D E D. Like, could you imagine that's part of how you? What that guy's oh gonna have nightmares God. the rest of his life. Yeah, I mean, to be burned. Oh, come on, poor guy. And he's like, "I'm happily married." Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> wrong, oh, con- wrong, wrong contractor. Yeah, and Sorry. he wants five hundred grand on top. Oh my God. Jesus. All right. Well, that's it, guys. All right. I will see you next week. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye.
If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. 